Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to another episode of the Revolutionary Podcast. talk one, not even last week, we've we've been focusing on a lot of difficulties right out the gate. And I was was having a walk with Alicia yesterday, and I'm like saying, man, like I got to give it to the people who keep on showing up because I need to stay faithful to the text. And we've been doing a study of the book of Acts and whatever the topic is, it is. And I'm like, man, some of y'all some troopers because, man, we've been kind of going through it for a little bit. And and it's not so much the, it's not the most... uh, interesting titles and interesting topics that would get people to like, you know, buzzworthy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I got to hear that. I got I to gotta know that. But it's things that we need to hear, not so much things that we want to hear, but we need to hear them. And so I was telling, I was like, babe, could you imagine if I post on, you know, on Facebook or on, you know, I made an announcement saying, guys, tomorrow, Lord, I, I can't wait to be able to share a word with you to really help you see how hard-headed and stubborn you are. Like, seriously, what kind of likes am I going to get on that, right? Who's going to wake up in the morning feeling, yes, I can't wait. Some of y'all, I, know, I, mean, I don't know, I, mean, I know there's somebody out there that just loves to hear negativity and they just live in the negative like that. But that's just kind of one of those things. But it's not so much always the things that we want to hear. But here's the, the fact, or here's the reality that I've kind of encountered. We do want to hear that. It's just uncomfortable because the things that we need to hear It's actually what we truly want inside, but we always settle for less. We always settle for easy, settle for the shortcut. So, I'm going to challenge you guys online. See, somebody, I know somebody already logged off. I'm like saying, oh, this, I want to hear something more positive. Oh, trust me, this is positive. This is not a negative message at all. It is a positive one. It's a good thing for you to come to grips and realize our stubbornness and our hard-headedness because it is what is keeping you from understanding and growing and experiencing all that God wants to do in your life and show you there's no shortcuts. In fact, that is the shortcut. You got to go plow through it. And so that's kind of one of the things we're looking at today because one of the things, uh, last week we talked about how hard it is to be able to understand God's plan, right? That's, That's a hard thing. It's hard to understand God's plan. Well, you know what? Have you ever considered how hard it is to apply the part of the plan that you do understand? And you know the part of the plan that we do understand? God literally, Jesus, told us, guys, I'm only giving you one thing. You ever seen those memes where it says, look, you had one job, okay? And it's usually followed by somebody who, like, messed it all up, like saying, you had one job, bro. You had one job. Well, Jesus literally shows us, you got one job. To love others as I have loved you. That's it. You got one job. Love others as I have loved you. Now it's simple, but why do we struggle? Because we don't want to love others the way Jesus loved us. That's too gracious, too kind. We can't do that. And that's reality. Guys, we can't love like Jesus exactly. We can't love so sacrificially and purely and innocently. That's, we're not him. But it still causes us, and we are still compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to attempt. And it it is him in us who will do that. But why do we struggle, guys, to apply something so simple? 
because of the darkness that still remains inside. There's a part of us that you don't want to forgive that person. You don't want to be able to be nice and say this and be compassionate. You don't because there is a part of us that is literally kicking and screaming the whole way. I know you know that, right? When you want to do the right thing and you know it's the right thing to do, but there's a part of you that is literally kicking and screaming, does not want to go. He does not want to love, does not want to submit, does not want, am I, right? For just so you know, you're not crazy, okay? That's normal. That is a normal thing. But what do we do with that? Well, guys, check this out. We are going to, today we're going to look at a text. As we're studying the book of Acts, we'll keep on going, all right? And literally, every week it's like the next text is my favorite text. This is insane. Guys, we are going to look at a lesson that Paul learned the hard way to help us to understand how to live a better way. That's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to learn what did Paul, how did this lesson that Paul learned the hard way so we can learn it to hopefully do what he did, and not with some other people that we're going to read about today. So, guys, we're going to read Acts chapter 25. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up, all right? I'm going to give you a heads up. This week, all right, and next week, there's a long narrative, a long story that we're going to read. Now, sometimes when you read your Bible verses and you got Bible plans, it's usually one, two, three verses. You want to get your, you know, it's kind of like get your, you know, your Starbucks to go in the drive-thru. You know, I got it. I got my word. I'm out of here, right? Well, guys, sometimes there is, um, sometimes there's longer sections that the story or the big idea is not so much in the part of it, but it's in the whole. And so this is going to be a good exercise for some of you, especially, listen, when it comes to churches, when it comes to, you know, the, the majority of people who should be gathering on a church are Christians. Now, we love the fact that if you are here and you're watching online and you're, you're just not sure and you're trying to process that, you are more than welcome. But one of the most important things that Christians need to learn how to do is they need to learn how to read, especially this. Just because you learn, learn how to read doesn't mean you know how to read this, because this is not like any other book. So you can't read it like a newspaper. You can't read it like a social media post. You can't read it like a blog. you got to read it differently. And so we're going to look at, so I'm going to read for about six minutes, all right? So it's story time with Pastor Tito, all right? So it's going to be story time with Pastor Tito. So hang in there. I got it on, you know, it's, it's going to be on the wall. You guys can read it as well. But guys, I wouldn't read the whole story if, again, God's word, spoken word still speaks, if it wasn't going to help. And I know that it will, all right? So... Let's pick up the story where we left off, which Paul has been, has been arrested. It's been two years that he's been under uh, false imprisonment, you know, false accusations. He had a, a governor that had him thrown away, and, and he should have been released, never did. And now there's a new governor, and Paul's trying to get out of the situation. He's trying to go to Rome. And so here's where we pick up the story. He just had a conversation with the, the new governor, and he says, I want out. I want to appeal to Caesar, meaning I want my case to go to a higher court. Now let's read, starting on verse 25, chapter 25, verse 13. All right, here we go. Buckle up. Several days later, after this whole encounter where Paul meets with Festus, governor Festus, for the first time, several days later, King Agrippa now, And Bernice, who was a regional king in the Roman Empire, who was nearby Israel. King Agrippa and his sister Bernice arrived in Caesarea. And they paid courtesy call to Festus, which was, you know, this is the new governor of Judea. So, you know, here he is trying to, um, you know, see how it's going. All right. Since they were staying several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king. There's a man who was left in prison by Felix, the former governor. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priest and the elders and the chief, um, 
and the, and the Jews presented their case and asked that he be condemned to death. I answered them that it is not the Roman custom to give someone up before the accuser faces, uh, before the accused faces the accuser and has an opportunity for a defense against the charges. So remember I told you Festus last week, he's an honorable man. So when they had assembled, I did not delay. The next day I took my seat at the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought in. The accuser stood up, brought no charge against him of the evils I expected. Instead, they had some disagreement with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, some dead man that Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding these matters, since they looked to be religious and not civil. But Paul appealed to be held for a trial by the emperor. I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa says to Festus, well, I would like to hear this man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him, he replied. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. And then this is a big show, a big spectacle. And they entered in the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man. This whole Jew, the whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting and that he should not live any longer. Now I have found that he has not done anything deserving of death. But when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. So therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after, examine, after, exam, uh, after the examination is over, I may have something to write. For it, it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So then Paul stretched out his hands, hushed the crowds, and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jews, Jewish customs and controversies. So therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Me too. I continue to ask you, listen to me patiently. All right, here we go. All of the Jews know my way of life from my youth. Like they know me. The people who are accusing me, they know me which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time. And if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in which God promised our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him, meaning God day and night. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Like, why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many saints in prison since I had received authority from, um, from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme, which means to reject their faith in Jesus Christ. Since I was terribly enraged at them, 
I pursued them even to foreign cities. Now, I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and commission from the chief priest. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speak to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I'm going to explain that one later. I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness so that uh, they may turn from darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me so then king agrippa I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and in the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they all should repent, turn to God, and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and they were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have had help from God and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to all our people and to the Gentiles. As he was saying these things, in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study has made you mad. But Paul replied, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Felix. On the contrary, I am speaking words of truth and good judgment. For the king, speaking of Agrippa, for the king knows about these matters. And I can speak boldly to him. For I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice. Since this was not done in a corner. This is not a secret. He's very much aware of all the controversies, even among the Jews. King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. King Agrippa says to Paul, are, are you going to persuade me to be a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all those who listen to me today may become as I am, well, except for these chains. The king, the governor, and Bernice, those sitting with them, got up. And, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, This man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. Agrippa says to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. There you go. Not bad, right? Six minutes. Okay. So, guys, what is the big idea of that story? Well, first off... That's a long story. 
And again, I say this a lot, guys. Listen, every time you feel and you sense when you're reading something, the, the story is long, it's because there's something significant. The, the, story, the narrative is slowing down. God wants our attention to focus and not miss on something here. So what are we missing? Well, first off, I know Christmas is around the corner. This guy, depending on what you read in the Bible verse you read, it might have said either King Agrippa II or King Herod Agrippa II. So just a quick one. Some of y'all may be confused. There's a lot of Herods out there, but it's an important thing for me to bring this up. There was a, a line of Herodian kings, okay? This is an important detail. If, if, I'm, if it's not important, I wouldn't say it. And there's a lot of them that are called Herods if you read the Gospels and the New Testaments, okay? King Agrippa II, the guy we were just listening to, he's the final one, the last King Herod in line. His uh, father was King Agrippa I. He's the one who earlier in the book of Acts killed the apostle James and imprisoned Peter and the Holy Spirit had to uh, break him out of jail. So in the book of Acts, we got two King Herods. We got daddy and we got his son. But then if you read the Gospels, there's another King Herod, which was this Agrippa's great uncle. And he was the King Herod of the Gospels when Jesus was an adult. And so that King Herod was a difficult man. He was the one that, uh, you know, didn't care, didn't believe. And he was a, there was a lot of things involved in there. But then if you know the Christmas story, not really the nativity story, Jesus' birth, there's another King Herod, King Herod the Great. This is the first guy. King Herod the Great was the first Herod. He was the one that tried to kill Jesus at his birth. Okay? So what do all of the Herods have in common, guys? What do all the Herods have in common? They're hard of hearing, okay, right? All of the Herods have been from, literally, King Herod the Great started during the reign of Jesus' birth, and now we see the fourth Herod, and now he's reigning under the expansion of the kingdom, and all of these Herods have something in common. They don't want to submit to Christ. They like their power. They like their position. That's, now, that's an interesting thing that we're going to talk about because there's two really big issues here. We have Herod and we have Festus. Now Festus, guys, you kind of see he's in a pickle. Festus, he's new on the job. I don't, I, I know for some of us, you've ever started your first week on the job, it's always stressful, right? And so it's not, there's a lot of learning, there's a lot of things. Well, Festus, guys, he's literally not even a month in and he has a high profile case. There's a lot of things going on. He doesn't want to mess this up. He's now supposed to send Paul to his superior, but he doesn't know what to do with this complicated case. So he's begging, you know, for Herod, can you help me out, because I can't release this guy. He appealed to Caesar. I have no choice. I just don't know what to do. I don't want to look foolish, was the word he said. So he's really, who's Festus looking out for? He's looking out for himself. He wants to just get rid of this Paul situation. He's being pesky. But then what made this story so long? It was Paul's testimony, right? Did you guys hear his testimony, his defense? If some of you, if you've read this, you, you, this sounds familiar. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself, guys, how come, how come we see certain things repeated in the Bible? I mean, there's times if you've ever read, you start with Matthew, and you read the story of Matthew. I was like, wow, that's pretty epic. Okay, I get it. Then you read the story of Mark. I'm like saying, why? This is the same story. Why is it repeated? Then you go to Luke. I'm like, Okay, well, he's a baby now, but it's the same thing. Then you read John. I'm like, okay, it's a little different, but it's the same thing. Why do they keep on killing this guy, right? And so if you read the Bible straight through, it's kind of weird. It's not a linear book, right? Not like anything else. And so the thing is, guys, is when something, look, is repeated, when it's repeated, it's because there's an echo there that the Spirit wants you to spiral into, revisit, and come back to. So every time there's repetitions, you see, holy, holy, holy. There's a reason why. It's like multiple exclamation points. Um, Saul's name was repeated. Did you not hear Jesus call him out? What did he say? 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you ever read, sometimes when God talks to somebody, he speaks, both, he speaks their name twice. Martha, Martha, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, right? Paul, Saul, Saul. Every time we see this, it's almost like if God is speaking to a divided soul. Who's someone who like knows what is right but doesn't know and but is rejecting at the same time. When God speaks and repeats a person's name, this person is divided and is being, being pulled apart. And God is speaking into the space in order to call and bring unity and alignment in this individual. So Saul, he repeated that phrase because he's very divided. He wants to serve the Lord, but there's something that's bothering him. But guys, I love the fact that we get another example of how to share your faith, even in this story. Guys, this one's just a quick one. Um, this is a great example here. What do we see Paul do? Well, Paul, when he shares his story, if, by the way, this is the third time, I believe, that we've read his testimony story, and it's different every time. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's different. And Paul customizes his, every time he shares the gospel, he always customizes what he says according to who he's talking to. Guys, I do that with you. I do that with you guys. I share certain things based on the people that I know. And I customize what I say to who is listening. And there's certain things that I don't even bother saying because, you know, because of who's listening. Well, he does that. So, guys, I want to encourage you when you want to share your faith, you got to make sure, do you understand who this person is? Because you don't want to talk a bunch of Christianese and a bunch of Christian phrases and sayings that maybe this person has no clue what they are. Find that common ground. I try to even do that when I talk to you guys. And so... Paul actually uses a lot of heavy religious language. Why? Because he knows who he's talking to. King Agrippa is what? King Agrippa knows us down. He's in, he's on, he understands the controversies and the, everything. So he's able to have the freedom to really lay in on him on a lot of things. So that's an important thing. But guys, let me encourage you, when you share your faith like Paul did, we saw two responses, didn't we? Technically, there's always three. What's the one response that Paul wanted? That people believe, right? Uh, did you guys not even hear his heart? Oh, I hope that not only you, King Agrippa, but that everybody here. Guys, I, I, I pray the same thing. I feel that. When I pray that not only those who are listening online or one of you, two of you, that all of you, my, from my kids to everybody, that you may hear what God is trying to show you. I, that's, I pray that too. But guys, you're, you got to be comfortable with the other two answers. What did Festus say to him in his defense? Bro, you're nuts. Okay, you know, maybe he's talking about some guy that's dead and he's supposedly alive. Listen, somebody's going to look at you, all right? They're going to look at you all kind of crazy like you got a massive booger hanging out of your nose, all right, when you talk about Jesus. That's just the reality of it. Some people are just going to look at you weird. They're going to look at you funny. Guys, you can't control that. And then others, you're going to hear King Agrippa's. First off, man, I love Paul's boldness. Did you see in front of everyone, commanders and prominent men of the city, what does he tell King Agrippa? He kind of outs him, doesn't he? He says, King Agrippa, I, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. He called them out in front of everyone. Guys, sometimes sharing your faith requires some boldness to be able to lay in and, hey, do you believe? Would you believe in Jesus? You got to be able to ask. That's a big one. And so I wonder right after, this was right after Festus saying, oh, Paul, you're nuts. You're crazy. Too much study has made you mad. Who else in the room is studying? King Agrippa. He's studying all these things too. And so I wonder if his subordinate who was just so flippant about it, now he's in front of everyone and everyone, who knows, maybe they were laughing too. And now King Agrippa, he has a, Paul put him on the spot. And King Agrippa, instead of being bold and saying, well, Paul, 
Actually, making some, uh, making some sense. I would like to talk to you about that. I am very much aware of a lot of those. And there are a lot of things that are very cons- interesting about the prophets. I would like to talk to you some more. What does he do? He goes in image mode, right? Huh. Are you trying to make me a Christian so easily, Paul? Uh-huh. I see you. All right. What was he doing? He was protecting. He was trying to protect his image, right? So we see these two individuals resisting. They're, they're not wanting to listen. So guys, I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. When you want to share your faith, that'll happen. But again, I always say this every time I get an opportunity. Listen, anybody from my kids to the oldest, to the youngest, to the one who just showed up yesterday and believed in Jesus five minutes ago, to somebody who's been doing it for 40 years. Listen, anyone can share your faith. You don't have to be like eloquent or anything. It just means share your story. Do you not hear what Paul did? All Paul said was his story. Why does he believe? Now, it's up to somebody else if they want to listen. Guys, have you ever sent a text message or an email that has gone unread? Right? It's annoying, isn't it? It's annoying. Especially if it's like to your spouse or to one of your kids or somebody that you, you, you send that message and you know, you saw they got it, but they've left you unopened. It's unread. Anybody else do one of those things in your emails to guarantee that you get a report once they open it? So at least you know they saw it. Some of y'all are just like that, right? You just want, I need to know at least you saw it. Well, guys, listen, it's the same thing. If people leave your gospel presentation unread, unrespond, or they open it and don't respond, that's not on you. You sent it. Do you see what I'm saying? Success is actually, you know, successfully sharing your faith is just sharing it in a loving, humble way. So that's what Paul does. But in this testimony, guys, he said one thing that we're going to zone in on. All right? It's one thing that I guarantee you, if you would have read it, I would, I've skipped over this before and plenty of times prior to. And it was the phrase when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Question. And then he says, it's hard to kick against the goats. Do you guys hear that part? It's, it's, you know, it's, I think if, if there could be an, almost another question added, it would be almost, a, it's like a rhetorical question. Like, it's hard to kick against the goat, isn't it? That's kind of like the impression. That's what that phrase means. What does that phrase mean? Well, guys, even though you guys don't use a goat, we've all seen people do it. Have you ever seen animal trainers use any form of stick or whip or something in order to guide and instruct um, a horse? Yes or no? Or any kind of animal. You guys have seen that, Right? That's what that is. So a goad is nothing but something that an animal trainer has, that, and sometimes it has some spikes or something, in order to get the animal to move. So like saying, hey, go, stop, do, hear. It's done to train them. I know maybe some animal activists, you don't like that, but hey, so, hey somebody got to learn. And animals sometimes got to learn the hard way, just like humans sometimes we got to learn the hard way. Some of us have gotten a couple of little, you know, pow-pows here and there. Why? Because you weren't learning the other way, right? Sometimes you, there's, there's an instruction that needs to be a little bit more felt, all right? And so uh, that's the same thing. Why do we have those things with people? Well, with animals too. That's what this is. So he's saying it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? So what is Jesus implying here? That literally God has been trying to get Paul's attention. He's been trying to, he's been poking at his conscience poking at his spirit, poking at his heart, poking at his mind. And what is Paul doing? Resisting, resisting, resisting. He's resisting the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit until finally he got literally knocked off his high horse. That's literally what happened. And figuratively, figuratively. And so what was the goads, guys, that Paul was kicking against? 
He was kicking against the Holy Spirit trying to convince Paul that no, Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the promise that you have been hearing about all along. Remember, he prior said, listen, I was convinced I was right. I was convinced that Jesus was just some dude and he was messing everything up. I was convinced that everything I was doing, and did you hear the abuses that he was doing? Innocent people, forcing even some of them to recant. Could you imagine the guilt trip you would have? No wonder he calls himself the chief of sinners at one point in his life when he looks back at his history. And so he says these things. And, and so what is he resisting? He's resisting the Holy Spirit's conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God, that he is the Son of God, that his fulfillment, what he died on the cross, that he truly rose from the dead, and that it is all that Paul was working for and waiting for. He said it. We were waiting and working day and night serving God for this very thing. And what was Paul doing? Stiff-arming the very thing that he was wanting. You see that? Stiff-arming God, the very thing he was expecting God to give. But why? Because of the darkness in his heart, and he was convinced in a lie. And so that deals with that. And guys, that happens to us as well. God's not the only one who's poking Paul with a goad, all right? He, he's poking all of us. He's all of us, and me too. Where he tries to, first off, get you to understand, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? That, impo- that is very important. That's a very important one. But I want you to know, guys, that, that the instruction, the hand of God that instructs our lives is not only heavy on us when we believe, but his hand is always with us for the rest of our lives. In fact, Scripture says that because our, when we believe in Jesus Christ, guys, I want you to know that you are now adopted into the family of God. Did you not hear what even Paul says? That once God opens your eyes, he's speaking of salvation, that you end up going and transferring from, from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, and you become, before you were slaves to sin, but now you're sons and daughters to the king. But he's still your heavenly father. And scripture says, because he loves you and because he's a good father, he disciplines his sons and daughters, those he loves. A good parent disciplines their kids. Now, I know when you're a kid and you're being disciplined by your parent, it doesn't feel good and you think you're right and they are wrong. Am I wrong? Yeah, exactly. My kids are over there too. There's no convincing. I know. I know when I'm trying to correct them on anything, when me and Alicia are trying to correct them, I see it in their eyes. They think I'm an idiot. They think that they, they think they, they're right and I'm wrong. And, and, and I know not to fight it because only God can help them convince them of that, right? And so I just can't mess it up. You know, I just have to try to like not go overboard, you know. But that's the thing. And so even when you are a believer in Christ, some of you know that, guys, this is, that's the hand of God trying to, con- trying to hey, okay, okay, now hey, you, you need to not act like that. You need to not, you need to move this way. Now, Paul actually says these phrases. He actually describes this kicking against the goad thing in two other instances. Has it, I don't know if you've ever heard of, regarding the Holy Spirit, have you ever heard anything say, if you haven't, you're going to hear it now, don't quench the Holy Spirit and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard of those before? If you haven't, I'm going to read the context. So normally, every time a lot of people I would hear say, Don't quench the Holy Spirit, meaning don't quench the the, the move of the Holy Spirit. He wants to do something in your life and through your life. And, and, you know, don't don't quench him by putting him in a box. Or or I've heard it with church services. Don't quench him by having like 
timelines and this and that. Just be free and, and floaty and let, he see, let, him, let him do what he wants to do, which we do. We have a plan, but we always may, are always flexible with what needs to happen, what needs to not, but we approach a plan. And I think it's funny because I do hear a lot of times people say, hey, we need to, don't quench the Holy Spirit. They're speaking of Sunday mornings. Let it flow. But when they're not in service, they're not letting it flow. They let the flow stop. They're just only talking about when they're at church service. So come on now, be consistent. Make it make sense. Okay? Make it make sense. But anyways, when, he, when Paul says, don't quench the Holy Spirit, this is in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. In context, he's saying, do not reject prophetic truth, but test it. And prophetic truth doesn't necessarily mean, you know, one day you're going to get this job and this is going to happen to you and tomorrow this is going to... No, 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 no. Prophetic truth speaking of the truth of God is the main one there. And so he says, if you, if you reject the belief, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can't do anything in your life if, you don't, if you're holding on to a lie. You see what that, that means? You're, you quench it, meaning he can't even get started because he is the spirit of truth. So to reject truth is to reject him. So he can't do anything in your life. And so when he speaks of don't quench the Holy Spirit, it's talking about what you believe. What you believe can actually quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If you believe in the lies of the enemy, if you believe in everything that is contrary to the truth of God, you quench the hand of God. You are choosing which side you want to be on. And so this, this is why in verse 18, notice he says, if, he, if you open your eyes, like I'm sending you to them, that they may have their eyes open so that they may turn from darkness to light, from power to Satan to God. But where does the beginning happen? Where does all that power transfer and transformation come from? What needs to happen first? You need to do what? Open your eyes. Meaning, believe in what the Spirit is trying to show you. You know what kicking against the goads looks like when it comes to believing? It means the Holy Spirit's trying to show you something, and you're like, mm-mm, 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 You just refuse. You keep your eyes closed because you don't want to see it. You don't want to see it. John says we don't see the light because we love our darkness too much. That's a big theme we've been hearing a lot about lately for us. And so that is what it means to quench. And so what is the other one? What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, quenching the Holy Spirit, guys, talks about believing. Um, quenching the Holy Spirit talks about believing. Grieving the Holy Spirit talks about your behavior. Because now, let's say you believe in the truth of God. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe in these, these life-giving truths of eternal life. And you believe what the Scripture says. Yet you don't follow through. And now it grieves his heart. Do you see that? When we operate in sin, in, in our pride, knowing what we believe, if we believe Jesus to be the Son of God, we believe these things. But yet if we don't operate in these things, what do we do? We grieve the Holy Spirit. Guys, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I know when you have sinned and when you've been stubborn, again, kicking against the goats is being stubborn. When you've been stubborn towards what you know God wants you to do and what you know is right, don't you grieve a little bit? Don't you feel bad? Don't you feel like you're disappointing God? Don't you feel like, oh, this is, it's not a good feeling if you're a believer. I believe that the, a lot of the grieving that you're feeling is not so much your own. You're, it's responding to the grieving of the Spirit inside of you that's saying, no, no. Not because he's, he's a stubborn brat, because God knows that sin and darkness is just going to wreck and ruin your life. Because he loves you like any one of you. You would grieve over a loved one that was making really poor decisions. Yes or no? 
You do. You guys are probably parents or kids or friends or others that when they make poor decisions that's hurting them, you grieve that. It wrecks your heart because they say, no, you, you don't understand what you're doing. Don't go there. Not that way. Not that way. That's, it grieves the Holy Spirit. When you believe in him and you believe in his truth, and yet you, you don't ask him to help you apply it. It grieves his heart. And it's hard to be a happy Christian when you're constantly grieving the spirit of the living God inside. And so that's what we see here. And that's what was happening with Paul. Paul refused to believe. But then Paul, sometimes he actually talks about the grieving later when he says things like, oh, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't do, I wish I could do. Oh, what was me? What is that? He's grieving what? The part of him that is still kicking and screaming and does not want to submit God to God fully. But the hope that we have, guys, is God has allowed this to still remain. By his wisdom, it's mysterious. We don't get it. But it forces us to learn. It actually helps us to be able to learn to lean on him better than anything else. And one day in heaven, that'll be all gone. But guys, the important thing is that in verse 18, he talks about open your eyes. He's talking about believing. And then in verse 20, did you not hear? If you repent and turn, which is the actions, what should the leftover thing be? Do works worthy of repentance. Do you see the behaving there? There's now, there's something that happens where your belief ought to constantly be influencing your behavior. And the more it doesn't, it's going to grieve him. And the more you grieve him and you hold on to the lie, the more you will quench his hand in your life. And now you're responsible for your own decisions after that. That's not a safe place to be. So the, the thing, guys, that we see in this whole story, and we're seeing not only in Paul's defense, but in, 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 in Agrippa's and Felix's rejection, and even in his defense, we're seeing this very thing here, that God's love ought to shape your life. Guys, I'm telling you now, that's what you should see. God's love should influence, it should impact your life. Doesn't mean you're perfect. I said that earlier today, this morning. But his love should impact your life. We saw, again, here's another very informed person like Felix was a couple weeks ago. King Agrippa, very informed, but his heart was not being transformed. Because it was all, he knew about God, he knew about the prophets, he heard about the stories about the love of God, yet the love of God did not shape and influence his life. His heart and his eyes remained closed, and he didn't see it. And so, guys, that is something that I want to really hone in on because what we're seeing now, we're seeing Paul literally do works worthy of repentance. He's knowing God and making him known that is works worthy of repentance. In fact, he actually says that in another interesting thing. Um, I loved even his sarcasm. Y'all catch Paul when he says, listen, I wish you guys were all would be like me. Well, you know, clank, 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 except for these little chains here, you know. Look at the, even the sarcasm. Like, it, it, in a, he made a light joke in the whole thing there. But here's a prisoner who is doing works of what? Worthy of repentance. Do you know what Paul says to, look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. After talking about all that Jesus has done for us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, look what he says in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, so therefore, in response to all Jesus has done for us, I, look at this. He re, I'm going to read Ephesians 4.1. He says, the prisoner in the Lord. Paul is literally a prisoner, but also spiritually. Listen, he says, a prisoner in the Lord. I urge you, listen to what he says, to live worthy of the calling you have received. Sounds very familiar. We're, live worthy of the calling. Live, wor do works worthy of repentance. What is he talking about? 
Guys, he actually explains later, which is to love one another as Jesus has loved us. So here, what is Paul doing? Is not Paul loving Festus, Felix, well, you know, Festus and Agrippa and everybody there. He's doing the most loving thing he could under his circumstances. What can he do? He can do nothing but tell him about the love of Jesus. That is the most loving thing that you can do is to share Christ with your loved ones, with your friends. The most loving thing you can do. Don't think that, well, I can do a bunch of good deeds and I'll make up for it. It's scary to talk about Jesus. It's the most loving thing you can do. It's important. And so, but I, I love even, the, look, at the, look at the parallelisms. A prisoner saying, do works worthy of repentance. And he, and he tells the Ephesian church, I am a prisoner. Do works worthy of the call. Now, to do works worthy of the call means, this is how I used to read it. I used to think, well, that means I need to do things to show that I am worthy of forgiveness. I got I to gotta prove it to God and others. So when I would sin or I wasn't perfect, I would feel, oh, man, I'm, I'm making God look bad. And so, guys, when he is saying do works worthy of the call, do works worthy of repentance, he is not saying prove that you are saved. Prove that you're a better person. No, we don't do those things for our works. To do works worthy of repentance is literally not to do, th- is to do things, not because we are deserving or to prove that we are, but uh, we do it because he is deserving. He is. It is not to say we are worthy. We do these things because he is worthy. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves or affirming ourselves. It's about affirming him. And to do works worthy of the call is to do what? Is to live in such a way that God's love is influencing your life. That the way that you are, how do you love your coworkers? How do you love your spouse? How do you love your boss? How do you love your kids at school? Where's that love? (coughs) Where is that love? His love ought to imp- impact our lives regardless of the ching 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 right? Regardless of the difficulties. Regardless of even the chains, he says, I'm a prisoner. And now, did you guys catch even the irony that Agrippa said? He was like, bro, this guy's done nothing wrong. He would be free if it wasn't for what? He appealed to Caesar. Do you guys know something crazy? Paul knew that. Paul knew what he was doing when he appealed to Caesar. He knew I could be free. I could be out here preaching the gospel and this and that, but what did God tell him to do? I need you to go to Rome. And so he's like, well, here's a route. Guys, what is shocking is that Paul is a prisoner on purpose. He, cho- he said, he, look, at this is an act worthy of the call. Said, in this case, that in which he realized that Jesus <laughs> voluntarily, Jesus voluntarily gave his life for us. And in the same way, we should voluntarily live our lives for him. That is what it looks like to live life worthy of the call. Why? Because of what he has done. Sometimes it may ask some of you to do some difficult things. Doesn't necessarily mean that we all got to be, you know, with a record, all with mugshots. Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that. But it does mean that sometimes it may lead us to do difficult things. And it is difficult to love somebody because of the darkness still in sight. But guys... It's the most loving thing you can do. Paul is doing the most loving thing you can do right now, and I'm doing the same with you. It's up to us on how we all <coughs> respond. Uh, I've never had, this has never happened to me, but um, 
I've never had uh, my house or anything catch on fire, right? I've never seen something like that. I mean, we've seen movies, right? Buildings catch on fire, house catches on fire, stuff like that. Um, obviously, when a building is on fire, what's priority number one? What's priority number one, guys? Online, you type it, what's priority number one? Get out, right? Just get out, right? If, if there's loved ones there, <coughs> excuse me, if there's loved ones, that, uh, that matters, it's okay. Uh, but get people out. Oh, gracias, thank you. Get people out of there. Thank you. Because it's not going to end well, right? It's not going to, which is a funny meme. There's a, there's a meme of a dog that, like, the whole house is on fire, and he's smiling, sitting there, drinking a cup of coffee, saying, everything's okay. Everything's fine. Hmm? Well, obviously, we know, guys, that that's, it's not fine. And if your house is on fire, you need to get out, and you need to get the most important things out. You're not going to go run up in there. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. I, I got to get my Xbox. You know, hold on, wait, I, I got to get those pair of shoes that, you know, that I got in there. Hold, hold on, you know, I, I, there's something in the refrigerator I left. You know, I, I left some leftovers. Uh, I need to go get those leftovers. And you're going to be running in and out, in and out, in and out of that burning fire. What's going to happen to you eventually if you keep on running in and out to get the stupid stuff? It's going to collapse on you, isn't it? Guys, I want you to understand this. Listen, we live in a world that is on fire. We live in a world that is on fire. And it will complete, and God will bring full judgment, but it, we live in a world that's on fire. And what did Jesus do? But Jesus ran in there like the hero, right? He ran into the fire, and through his life, through his death and resurrection, made a way for us to get out. He made a way for us to get out. Like the, like the kinds that you see in the movies, that's what he has done. When he, listen guys, when he died, he stepped into the tomb with us. Because of our sins, we were dead in our sins. And Jesus died for our sins. And he was put in a tomb. He was put into our tomb of death. But yet three days later, he rose from the dead. And not only did he walk out of there, but the stone was rolled away. Why? Because to lead us out from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God, this is all what he was saying. And so Jesus has made a way for us to get out. And so what is Jesus doing? But the spirit of the living God is doing what to all of humanity? prodding us and prodding our conscience with the goads of the gospel, saying, believe, believe, look, and come this way. Come out of the darkness. Come out of there. Step out of the fire and into the light. Step out of the judgment and into a loving relationship with Jesus. That's what, that's what God is doing. That's what he's doing. He's, that's what the Spirit of God is doing right now. And for those of us, if you're responding to the love of God, if you are responding to his leading, don't keep on running back in the building, playing with that same old sin that literally is destroying your life. You feeling me on that? This is what you don't want to do. If you see that and you know the truth and you've been going this way, but I'm like, hold on, but I remember this used to be fun. So let me go double back on that. Okay, God, I, I forgive me, uh, but hold on, let me go back in there again. Guys, when you just run back and forth, that's like you running back into a burning building to get a pair of socks, literally to go inside of a burning building to get your toothbrush, to, to get insignificant things, and it's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy everything. Constantly running in and there, and what is God doing the whole time? Trying to say, no, this way. Kicking against the goads hurts. Did you notice what Jesus said? It's hard, isn't it? It's pretty much a, a very sarcastic statement. <clears throat> 
It's hard to kick against the goads. Why? Because, listen, the, a trainer is not going to give in to the animal until the animal submits, right? God is, you're not, God's not going to submit. It's up to us if we will or not. And so this is an important thing. We can't keep running back in, but once we're running out of it, what should we do? But God should use us to call others out of darkness. That's what I'm doing right now with you. Out of that and into this. You know what the irony, guys, is? is uh, look at this whole story. The irony is Paul is telling a story about when he used to kick against the goats, and we literally had two people do the very same thing. Every time we hear Paul's testimony, do you know there's a new detail? Every single time. Paul's testimony is never the same. There's a new detail, and that new detail matters in the context. This is the first time in his, in his testimony we hear kicking against the goat. First time. And so what is it? So here he's saying, listen, he's telling a story about how stubborn he was until finally he surrendered to the love of God. And what does Felix and Agrippa do? Oh, you're mad. Oh, you're going to make me a Christian so easily? What are they doing? They're resisting in the same way. And the irony is that here we have two powerful individuals, free individuals, right? And they're kicking against the goats, but they're really the ones who are slaves. They are the ones who are slaves to darkness. They have physical chains, I mean spiritual chains. And yet here's Paul with physical chains, and he can't be more free. He is free more than any politician or government could ever make him because he surrendered to the love of Christ. He has been held captive by Christ. You ever use that phrase before? I was just so captivated. I was captivated by your beauty. I was captivated by this majestic image. What does it mean to be captivated? To your attention and everything is held captive because it's so amazing. That's what Paul, when he describes, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I am captivated by him. I am captivated by who he is. And he's one, he doesn't mistreat me. And so guys, I, I, I want to encourage you, look at this example, and as we're wrapping up, I want to ask you, um, how are you kicking against the goat? What goat are you kicking against? All right, is the Holy Spirit, has he been working on you? In one thing or another, has he been working in your conscience and you've been, you've been stubborn? And it's been, and maybe things aren't working out. And then maybe you're blaming God when it's been you the whole time. You make life harder on yourself. I tell my kids that when you complain, you make hard work harder. All right? If you complain, you make hard work harder. Well, if you resist God, you make a hard life harder. Really? Doesn't mean life gets easier, but you're, now you're on your own. You don't have him. You make hard work harder if you reject God. So for some of you, what belief... Is he poking at you? Are you quenching the Holy Spirit? Is there a belief that you're struggling with? For some of you, maybe, it's, maybe you say you believe in God, but you don't live the way that you do. If you're not living as if he is your Savior, maybe you really don't believe that he is. I don't know. Only God knows. And so do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he does love you, that he died on the cross and paid for your sins? Do you believe that? Because if not, God has nothing else, and that is priority number one for you is your soul. Your finances and your purpose in life mean nothing if you don't have him. That is number one priority. So for some of you, what is, is there something that you're struggling to believe? Do you struggle to believe that God loves you? 
Do you struggle to believe that he is faithful? Do you struggle to believe that he is good? Do you struggle? What do you struggle to believe in? And know that you look to the cross and the cross says, and the empty tomb says everything you need to know about who he is. Do you believe in what he has done for you? And now what about the other one? Are there some of you that, okay, pastor, I'm with you. I believe that he's this. I believe that he's that. Well, is there a different go that you're kicking? Is it more your behavior? Is there a habit? Is there an action? Is there a thing that you're constantly doing that you know you shouldn't be doing and you just can't stop? Is there a thing that you want to do, but you just can't seem to get started or get a rhythm on it? I guarantee you only the Holy Spirit knows deep down inside a secret that you have kept that's eating you alive. And he says, you need to confess it. No, I can't confess it. Oh, you need to confess it. Is there something that you are not doing? For some of you, is there a call on your life that you are resisting? Because you have such a high view of him but low view of yourself. Is there a call that, he, that you are resisting for a lame reason? Now, you can fight him all you want. It's going to hurt, and it's going it's to keep hurting until you, like Saul, say, I surrender. I surrender. No more resisting. I surrender. And guys, that's a process. But I want you to know that the irony of the kingdom of God is that the way that you win is you got to lose. That's the irony of the kingdom of God. If you're weak, that's how you're strong. And if in order to win, you know, you got to, in order to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. It's opposite of what our natural thinking is. And in order to win, you have to wave the white, white flag. When you wave a white flag and surrender saying, Jesus, I'm a divided soul. Only Christ, only the breath of God can speak into that gap. Once you wave that white flag and say, I surrender, I give up, I believe in you, whatever it takes when you follow him in that way, that's how you win, through surrender. It sounds counter opposite of what are the reality is, guys, but the reality is true. And there is no greater freedom than being held captive by Christ. There is no greater freedom to be found than being held captive by Christ.